All righty, Grace Church, Medina East, 915. How you guys doing this morning? All right. Well, my name is Dan, and uh, I lead student ministries here uh, at Medina East. Uh, student ministries is real cool. It's, uh, it's for everybody all the way from 6th through, through 12th grade, and we get to hang out in a variety of different environments throughout the week. We hang out with middle school kids on the weekend and, and uh, high school kids on, on Wednesday nights and, and Sundays at my house, uh, me and my wife's house. We have a life group of, uh, of high school students. So cool. Love it. Love the students. Uh, and it's just awesome to be a part of what God is doing uh, in that ministry. Uh, like Kevin said, if you're newer or if you're a guest here, we just want to extend a genuine and, and uh, sincere welcome to you. Uh, you know, if it, like I said, if it's your first time, we just, we love you. We're glad you're here. We hope you feel welcomed uh, and loved because you truly, genuinely are. We love you and we're glad that you're here. And for those of you that are uh, hanging out with us online, we also want to send our love to you uh, and say that we're with you. I know I might actually have some friends uh, out in Massachusetts, so I just want to give an extra special hello out to them. You know who you are. Uh, but yeah, before we, get, before we get going, I actually, I just, I want to pray. I know Kevin prayed already, but uh, man, the stuff that I've been learning and connecting with uh, this past week is uh, in kind of in preparation for our talk today has just been really blowing my mind. And uh, I'm really praying that God will uh, do something cool with us here today. So join me in prayer. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to get together, to, to connect with you, with your heart, uh, to be in this place. Um, and I know there's, uh, you know, a variety of different people in this room. Lord, some of us follow you and, and love you and, and are, are trying to like really uh, get it together with you. And there, are, and there are some in this room who are probably just trying to figure it out. Maybe they don't, uh, they don't, you know, completely dig you or, 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 or want to follow you. And so maybe they're investigating and whatever, Lord, we're just, we're trying to, we're trying to be real and we're trying to come, come to you in an honest way in this place. And so what I'm asking, Father, is that by the power of your Holy Spirit, who is present in this place right now, would you please grant us uh, an experience and a recognition of your presence? Please, Holy Spirit, fill up in all of us that do really follow you just an excitement and a joy to, to be connecting with you, Father. And for those that are investigating, Holy Spirit, I ask that you, that you soften their hearts and that you open their minds to receive the love and the joy that you so desperately want to deliver to them. So please give us what we need. Uh, fill us up with uh, encouragement and joy and excitement. And please, Holy Spirit, come in and dominate this room. Your kingdom come, Father. We, we, we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Get funky, get funky right out of the gate. Anyways, so we're in this uh, series called Motives. We've been in for, uh, this is actually our second week. And basically what we're saying is that Jesus, he can kind of see through all of our external behaviors all the way right down into our heart. He can see us and he knows us and he wants to connect in a true way. He wants to get right down to what our motives are, which I think is really important. But before we get into this, I, uh, I actually just want to make one quick observation uh, and then ask a, kind of a simple question. And here is the observation. Summer is winding down. That's it. Summer's winding down, and here's the question I have. Has anybody had a chance to get out to Cedar Point this summer? Yeah, everybody say, I like having fun. Yeah, Cedar Point is actually, I think if you Google the place where the most fun happens, it's Cedar Point. It's this amusement park, uh, you know, voted the best of all time or whatever, the most fun a human can have. And I actually got a rec uh, recent chance to get there with my family. So here's a picture of me uh, and my family. 
I found out I'm getting a little bit older. You know, there's something about getting strapped to a thing and violently shaking around for a minute and 45 seconds has just lost its appeal. I thought, I really thought I could hang, but I can't. Anyway, so as you can tell in this picture, we're obviously, <laughs> I'm already excited about these jokes that I'm about to tell you. But anyway, uh, what you can tell in this picture is that we're obviously very fashion savvy, right? That's just, we emanate that suave fashion. And so, what we rock uh, in, when we go out in groups is we try to stay kind of within the parameters of what we call the athletic casual style, right? It's just like comfortable, not trying to impress anybody, but you know, if we had to, if we had to run track, I guess we could do it in these clothes. But what we discovered and what I kind of really stuck out to me was that at Cedar Point, you know, most people go to Cedar Point in groups of people. <laughs> And every group, of peop- every group of people that you identify, they kind of dress in sort of a similar way, right? We had the athletic casual group, but some of the other groups I identified were, for example, the socks and slides group. If you've got one person in a group that is wearing socks and sandals, pretty much everybody in that group is going to be rocking it, right? It's socks, Crocs, and Birkenstocks for them. And another style that, you know, you'll see a group of people, if they're standing around, whatever, hanging out, is the 90s angst group, which I really like, which resonates a lot with me. I was a teenager in the 90s, and you know, for me, teenage angst has paid off uh, very well. And so you got whatever, the socks, you got all these groups. And then you've got, kind of in contrast to the athletic casual group, you've got the athletic non-casual group. Now, this is the group of people that like left practice to come to Cedar Point, <laughs> And they're standing in line for Dippin' Dots, practicing their dribbling and stuff like that and, and rehearsing plays or whatever. And so all these groups of people stick around together and they, and they stay connected. And I thought this was really interesting. And so I started kind of researching what it is that compels people to dress the same way when, when they're in groups of people. I found this interesting article on Psychology Today. And it says, when adolescents or even, you know, whatever, young adults or grown men who are too old to like, you know, that are like getting a headache in in the Maverick, which is me, when any group of people copy their friends' outfits, it's not just about clothes, right? It's It's not just about clothes. There's something else going on. By dressing the same way, speaking the same way, and adopting their friends' mannerisms, they're actually expressing something complicated about their own developing self-esteem. In psychological terms, uh, they are seeking out a mothering-type function from their friends. It's pretty intense. It goes on to say that when, when they feel insecure or fragile, they attempt through minute and routine interactions to use their friends in much the same way a young infant uses its mother. And they try to get approval and attention in tacit and unspoken ways in order to bolster their fragile self-esteem. And I think this is pretty interesting. And I, I th- actually think these two words here, uh, insecure, uh, the, the concept of insecurity and a longing for approval, actually go pretty deep. And so maybe this uh, you know, resonates with you. Um, you know, no, the, the truth is that no matter how mature we are or how far along we are uh, on our journey in life, in our career, even in our journey with Jesus, is that we are facing some type of insecurity. We're either aware of it consciously or not, but it's there. And maybe for you, you know, you're kind of wrestling through or trying to, to find out if some kind of romantic relationship is going to come to fruition or, or you're having some struggle in, in a relationship like that and it causes you to feel insecure. 
Or maybe you feel insecure with your family. You, you feel like you, you know, you're, you're not heading in the right direction and, and your parents or somebody close to you in your family makes you feel insecure and you want the approval of your, your mom or your dad or your grandpa or something and you just want them to, to give you approval and you feel that. Or maybe it's even in your group of friends and, and you know, everybody's kind of achieved this status and you're down here and you're like, man, I wish I, wish I could get closer to, to how you are and, and find approval in my relationship with you. Maybe you're on a team and, and, and maybe you, you, know, you messed up a play or something and you feel like, man, I'm not, I'm not reaching the status that I need to reach and I feel insecure. I long for approval, but I can't, I can't get it. I can't get there. And maybe your coworkers are uh, hitting some quota or, or meeting some deadline and you're struggling and you feel insecure. You're, you're afraid about the, the meeting you have next week with your boss and, and you don't know if you're going to gain the approval that you want in that review or whatever. And maybe even your neighbors, you know, maybe they keep the lawn perfect and everything edged and you're like, whatever, going to Cedar Point too much and don't have a chance to like fertilize or whatever, you know, and you're like, oh man, I'm trying to make all these right things, you know, and whatever out there, there's all these different ways to feel insecure, but maybe even you might be somebody that says, I don't really wrestle with that. I feel pretty good. But even internally, maybe there is a wrestling or an insecurity even within yourself, and you feel like, man, I, I need to prove something of who I am uh, and achieve some status to prove to myself that I'm good enough. And you wrestle with insecurity that way. Or even when you think about God and you think, man, maybe I have to achieve something or prove something to get God to love me or to uh, achieve approval from God. And so we have these things and that's the truth. And if you are a human being in this room, you're wrestling either consciously or not with some feeling of insecurity and a need for approval. And what I'm here to tell you today is that there's really only one ultimate solution to that, that problem. And the only solution that we can fi- find is, 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 is discovered in the person of Jesus and in his cross and in the resurrection. Because the cross, it declares both that I am more messed up than I think and I'm more loved than I can imagine. This is the message that we preach at this church. We're all, about the, the, we're all about the cross and all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus here at this church. But if I embrace the message of the cross, if I look at Jesus and, and see what he has done, and if I, if I recognize this, yeah, I'm more messed up than I think and I'm more loved than I can imagine. And if I embrace the message of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus, then I actually find real and lasting and abiding approval there a type of approval that is anchored in the reality of Christ and his love. And if I turn to Jesus, I can gratefully declare with all of creation, Jesus is Lord. This is the declaration of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has defeated Satan and sin and death. And that in light of the reality of his authority and his, and his reign, in light of the reality that Jesus is Lord, broken humanity, which is all of us, myself included, broken humanity is granted access to forgiveness and freedom in Christ. And so followers of Jesus, they find their identity in, in Christ. And so we no longer seek the approval uh, of other people primarily, right? We, we no longer are oriented and focused on what other people think about me. Like Paul says in Galatians, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. See, Christ is a light shining in the dark and following him, it doesn't always get you approval. It gives you something more lasting and more enduring, but it doesn't always get you approval. 
But here's the thing, even followers of Jesus, and again, we know not everybody in this room follows Jesus, but followers of Jesus actually still wrestle with seeking approval from others, right? And sometimes that, that desire to, to fit in or to prove ourselves or to be acclaimed or loved, it even creeps into the way that we do good things like giving to the needy or praying or doing other, other things that are good things and helpful in our walk with Christ. And, and our desire for approval creeps into even those things. And so the question that we want to explore today for, for a little while is who is my audience deep down all the way? Who, who am I performing for ultimately, deeply, for real? And what is my true motivation at the very core of who I am? What will my performance achieve? What am I trying to accomplish and this is a really, really important question, and Jesus addresses it head on in Matthew chapter 6, which is where we're going to be hanging out today. So if you want to open up your Bible to Matthew 6, that would be really cool. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one, uh, and, or if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one uh, under the chairs in front of you there, and you can find uh, Matthew 6 on page 787. And if you, didn't, if you don't own a Bible, you could just take one of those, uh, make it a gift from us to you. We think it's super important that you have a copy of God's word. However you want to get there, that'd be great. But we're going to pick it up in uh, Matthew 6, starting in verse 5, I believe. So Jesus is uh, delivering what is called the Sermon on the Mount, a profound, unbelievable uh, teaching, just monumental. And uh, he gets to this place where he's kind of unpacked what it means to follow him for a while. And then he starts talking about performing your righteousness in, in front of other people. And so last week, Pastor Kevin talked about giving to the needy and how you shouldn't just do that to show off. But then Jesus gets to prayer, which is so fundamental and so beautiful. And he says, and when you pray, speaking to the group of people that are his followers, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. He says, praying is good, but man, apparently it can be done in a hypocritical way. And this word hypocrite, it, it comes from, or is kind of connected to this Greek word that means actor or like a play, a stage, a stage player. And so the idea is Jesus is saying, don't, don't put on a mask when you're praying and when you're interacting with God, don't put on this mask where you pretend to be interacting with him when really you're just trying to perform for other people. And what he's saying is don't be phony. Don't be fake, be real, be real. And this is what Jesus wants so bad is a real relationship with you and with me. He doesn't want us to, to put on airs or be concerned about whether or not we're fitting into the perfect mold of what it looks like to, or, or, what it, or what it sounds like to be you know, some kind of fancy pants religious person. He wants us to be real. And he wants to, us to be liberated from this delusion that we have to give some kind of performance to please other people. He wants to connect with us for real. And so he says that this, this group of people, these hypocrites, they love to stand uh, and perform in synagogues and on street corners. And so in this culture, both the synagogue and out on street corners during certain times of the day would be opportunities for people to really flex their, their praying muscles and to show off. I like what this commentator, D.A. Carson, says. He was like, yeah, in these environments, the acceptable cliches, like a, a kind of cultural sensitivity to, okay, who's here and what can I say? The appropriate sentiments, the sonorous tones, the well-pitched fervency, these all become tools to win approval, to, to seek the approval of other people and to try to present myself in a way that, that casts light on me and how good I am at praying. 
And he says it's possible because of our deep insecurity and our need for approval to distort even this beautiful gift of prayer and connection with God. And it's possible for the main goal of our prayer to be this idea of being seen by others. And I love what Jesus says. He's so direct. And this is a really challenging passage as we're going to get into it. Because he's like, look, if you just want to show off and be impressive to other people with your religious stuff, you'll be able to do that. But that's where it's going to end. He says, they love to pray standing in synagogues to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The reward is being known as good at praying guy. That's it. Beyond that, there's nothing. Just, wow, that's a very impressive prayer, I guess. But Jesus actually has a very powerfully different vision for, for those that follow him and that really want to have a real encounter and a real relationship with him. He presents this other picture that is so beautiful. And he says in this next section, but when you pray, when my followers pray, who really know me and know that they are approved in me and have a connection with me and have been covered over, he says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. Now, what Jesus isn't doing here is he's not condemning all public prayer. It's, it's totally cool to, like, to pray publicly. But what he's trying to do here is to, is to address the motives, right? He's doing something very, very important. And what he's saying is that, yeah, on a surface level, you can focus on being seen by others. But the Father, but the Father, the, the God of the universe, he sees in a different way. He's unseen and he's present and he can really see what's going on. And he's sensitive and aware and he can't be deceived and he can't be manipulated because he really wants to be real. He wants to be real. And it reminds me, this, when I was studying this passage, this was, just, this was just cutting me down. I'm being honest with you. It was really impacting me in a powerful way. It reminded me of this story in the Gospel of John where there's this guy, Philip, who has an encounter with Jesus. He meets and, and, and kind of figures out that Jesus is the deal for real. And Philip interacts with his friend Nathaniel, and he's like, yo, we found, we found the guy. Like, we found Jesus. Come check it out. This is amazing. And Nathaniel's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, like, yeah, right. He's kind of, he doesn't really believe that that's the deal. And so in light of this, the idea of being unseen and, and, and seen, uh, I think the scene is very, is very powerful. And so Nathaniel is brought to Jesus, and this is what happens. This is like one of my favorite passages of scripture. <laughs> Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. He says, I can tell you're somebody that doesn't like to fake it, that you're real. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And here's what I want you to know. This is so powerful. We don't know exactly what was going on uh, in this moment, but so often in my life, I've thought about this verse in, in moments of desperation and in moments of joy in the full spectrum of experiences in my life. And I've thought, man, I just love that verse. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And so what I want you all to know and ask you to consider is that whatever you're going through in your life, whether it is fear or insecurity or real confusion or pain or problems or things that are joyful. You might be in a season that's really awesome. You get to Cedar Point every day and you don't hurt. You know, that's great. Whatever the situation is in your life, Jesus is there and he sees you and he wants to have a real connection. God knows you and God sees you. 
And I love that. And what's so awesome is that the way that Jesus kind of concludes this little section, his, he, he says that the, the reality of this love and this truth is very fulfilling. He says, when you pray, don't just try to show off. Pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you, will reward you. And not just the reward of being known or being some, some, known as some impressive person, but known and, and, and loved and rewarded in a deeper way. And the more I've walked with Jesus and the, the more I've tried to, to seek him and, and, and discover what this reward is, the more that I am convinced that the greatest reward ever, and this is just a, the, the truest thing I could possibly say to you, the, the, the greatest reward ever and what our hearts are all longing for, whether we realize it or not, the ultimate reward is more of Jesus. It's, it's an encounter with our creator and our savior and our heavenly father who loves us. And, and a depth of relationship with him and a knowledge of, of what he's doing and how he functions and how cool he is and intimacy with him and, and knowing him and being known by him and participation in the things that he's doing in this world. To say that, man, I, I have more, of, I'm rewarded with this relationship and, and the relationship is with God. <laughs> and I remember this kind of makes me think of uh, kind of before, before I was even dating the woman who eventually became my wife, I had a pretty big crush on her, right? And, and I, what I wanted more than anything wasn't for her to like give me a cool CD player or something. What I wanted was a relationship with her and that the, the greatest reward I could get and, and whatever, what would fulfill me the most in terms of that, of that desire was just her, to have a relationship with her. And so what I'm trying to tell you is not, I'm not trying to tell you that Jesus wants to be your boyfriend, but what I am telling you is that Jesus wants to have a real intimate and deep relationship with you as a friend and as a savior and as a, a, a child, as he wants you to recognize that he wants you to be his child. And so my question, what I would ask you to consider is do you feel like that about Jesus? And is your prayer life leading you in a direction toward encountering him in that way? say, man, I, I want the reward of more of you, more of you, Christ, whatever that means. If it's some kind of blessing in this way that's gonna lead to experiencing you more and hanging out more with you and, and discovering your love, take me that way. If it's taking something away so that I can focus more on you, take whatever, the relationship is what I, is what I long for. I think this is really important. And that's the reward. Jesus is the reward. And so he goes on to kind of switch gears a little bit. And he says, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them for your father. He knows what you need before you ask him. And this word pagans is, is kind of a trippy, you know, sort of a churchy word. And some translations say the Gentiles, it really just means people of other religions, right? And so in this culture, again, as to the group of people that Jesus is talking to, some religions, they would teach that if you just repeated a thing a certain number of times, that that was the ticket, that God had like some kind of abacus. And he was like, once you hit a hundred, then I'll give you the whatever thing is that you want. And so Jesus says, no, that's, that's actually not the thing, but it's a little bit, a little bit subtle because the Bible does teach that we should pray without ceasing. And that there is value in, in really earnestly seeking uh, to connect with God in a repeated way. And so the question is, what's the deal? Like, are we supposed to repeat these things to God or not in our prayers and in our times in connection with him? I like what this guy, uh, Michael J. Wilkins said in his uh, contribution to the ESV study Bible notes on this section. 
He says, what's happening here is that Jesus is prohibiting mindless mechanical repetition, not the earnest repetition that flows from the imploring heart. And so I tell my wife, I love her 20 times a day, but that's just because I, it's true. And I, I'm not trying to hit a quota. I just, I really love my wife, you know? I tell my kids I love them. I, I declare that I love to eat Chipotle multiple times a day. And that doesn't necessarily, you know, that doesn't achieve anything other than it's just true. And I do that because it's an overflow of my, of my heart. And so you can say the same thing over and over again. The question is, and really I would encourage you to say the same thing over and over again to Jesus if it's really from the heart. But the question is, is it from the heart? Is it an earnest repetition that flows from the imploring heart? And here's what I want you to know. Maybe for some of you, you're, you, you might have been raised in a tradition where you think you have to pray through a certain number of beads a certain, in a certain order over, over the course of a certain amount of time in order for God to listen to you or to think that you're approved or that he wants to listen to you. And I would just, I would beg you to, to consider the fact that your heavenly father is not looking for you to hit some kind of quota. He wants your heart and he wants a relationship with you. So really consider that. And the reason why is because he knows you. Do not be like that. Don't, don't, don't play this game where it's just some kind of like equation that you have to master. I know you. Your father knows you. Don't be like that. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so whatever situation you're in, you don't need to follow some kind of mechanical formula because he sees and he knows. And I think this is especially important and so vital that we make a connection with this very, that this very point, that it isn't some kind of mechanical repetition as we get into discussing what is called the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Because I think this prayer, probably the most famous prayer in all of human history, is often kind of babbled um, as some kind of just like a religious routine. And, and the beauty and the power of the Lord's Prayer, I think is often missed as just a thing that you do, like that you rush through uh, before a football game or something. And it doesn't, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really come from the heart. It's just like, oh, we gotta say this thing really quick. And so I would encourage you to really consider, don't do that. When you encounter the Lord's Prayer, when you think about it, when you hear it recited at a meeting or wherever, it's, man, it's Jesus. <laughs> it's the words of God in flesh telling us how to connect with the heart of the Father. So this is what he says, verse nine. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is truth, and this is beauty, and this is power right here. And uh, man, I would just encourage you to dig it because it's so awesome. <laughs> but a very similar prayer actually can be found in the Gospel of Luke. And we did a series here at this church uh, on, on the way that Luke presents this uh, called Teach Us to Pray, an amazing series. I think it was like seven or eight weeks long, and we went through it line by line. Very beautiful. A lot of stuff in that, in that series that I can't really get into uh, today, ton of awesome stuff. I actually just want to highlight a few, a few things that have stuck out to me over the course of the past few weeks um, from this prayer. And the first is this idea of our Father in heaven. And so again, uh, as Jesus warns, he says, look, the hypocrites, they're concerned about how they are being perceived by others. 
It's this concept of me, 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 and, and them. Like I'm, I'm trying to show off in my performance and how they perceive me. But what Jesus says when he says to start our father, is he instructs to start by recognizing that it is an us and him, not, not me and them. It is us and him relationship, our father. And so it is a we program. We are his children and he is our father. And I love how Paul addresses this again in Galatians. He says, because we are his children. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. This would be like a kind of slightly more, more respectful and endearing version of the, of the word daddy, right? And so followers of Jesus, the Bible teaches that they have a special and unique relationship with the Father as his, as his children because his spirit dwells within us. And the truth is, this is an important thing to to understand is that the Holy Spirit of God does not dwell within everybody. The Holy Spirit dwells within people who have turned their lives over to Christ and follow him for real. And it is only by that spirit and by that relationship that we can cry out to God in the true sense of children and a father. And he says, because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, oh, dad, Father, Father, you know? And we have a unique intimacy with God as his children, which is absurd because he's also the king of heaven. And so we have this, this audience with the king as, as children. And this, this idea of, of being in heaven is a really incredible thing. And I wish we could talk about it for hours and hours and hours because it's crazy. But here's the thing that I would like for you to know is that heaven is not just where you go when you die. Now, those that follow Jesus, when they die, they do go immediately into paradise and they're with Jesus and it's awesome. But heaven, is, is, it's, it's the realm or the dwelling place of God Almighty. And heaven is God's space and it's the place from which Jesus currently is ruling and reigning. And so we say, our Father, now King of the universe, oh, I get to have this relationship with you and this audience with you. It's overwhelming and it's powerful. And when we engage with prayer and when we think about what we're doing, we have to be oriented in that way. And then he goes on to say this, hallowed be your name. And I know hallowed is kind of a churchy word, but it just means to, set, to, to say that something is set apart or recognized as awesome or that it's a big deal. I like what one commentator said. He said, this concept of hallowing, it means when I say hallowed be your name, may you be given that unique reverence that your character and your nature as father demand. I revere and I honor you because of who you are. And I recognize your authority and your beauty and the truth of who you are because because your name is connected to your very person and that is so significant for me. And some of you that have been with us uh, in previous series know that God actually declares his, his name to Moses, who is an important character in the Old Testament. And that name is Yahweh. And, and Moses says, oh, will you show me your glory? To, uh, how, how do I discover who you are? And he says, I'll declare my name. And God declares his name, and it's Yahweh. He says, Yahweh, Yahweh, which means I am that I am, or I stay completely consistent and unchanging. And then he describes himself. God, after he declares his name, he describes himself. And what he says is, Yahweh, Yahweh, or I am that I am that I am that I am. And what I am God describes is compassionate, 
and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. God is slow to anger and he loves you, but he's not gonna let the guilty go unpunished. And so we see in the declaration of God's name that he is both perfectly loving and perfectly just. And this is incredible. And so Yahweh is, is all of these things. And what's crazy is that Jesus, the name of Jesus actually means Yahweh saves. And so after reflecting on the great humility and the sacrifice of Jesus, the Bible actually says this of Christ. He says that therefore, because of who Christ is and what he has done in his life to exemplify the name of Yahweh as compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but not leaving the guilty unpunished. And Jesus, as he lives a perfect life and then dies a substitutionary death, a criminal's death in our place to conquer Satan, sin, and death, it says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, it's a big deal. And this is why we sing, you have no rival. You have no equal now and forever. God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. Jesus is the King for real. And there is a King and there is a kingdom. And so we pray, your kingdom come, your kingdom come. And what's so awesome about the king, and again, this is an incredible thing. We could talk about it for, for a huge long series, but Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God as he healed people and as he cast out demons. And then his kingdom was profoundly ratified in the cross and in the resurrection and in the ascension and in the sending of his spirit. Man, the kingdom, the kingdom. And in this world, he dynamically rules and reigns in the hearts of his followers. And the kingdom is the place where he is the king, where he's ruling and where he's reigning. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we pray expand in my heart, rule and reign in my heart. Please, your kingdom come. And we pray not only for us, but also that the truth of God's message would, would, um, would spread out into the community and other people would discover this beauty and this truth and this liberation. And so we pray, draw others to yourself, your kingdom come in my neighborhood, at this school, at my place of employment, whatever, like your kingdom be here, like your truth and your power and, and, and your resurrection and your freedom be in this place, draw others to yourself. And ultimately, we pray, come back. Because here's the thing, Jesus is, is gonna come back. And we await the kingdom's final consummation upon the imminent return of Jesus. He's coming back. And when he comes back and when he makes all things new, it is gonna be really hooked up. This is what it says in Revelation. This is what's going to happen. I heard a loud shout from the throne because a king sits on the throne and this is the eternal throne of almighty God. And Jesus says, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And then check this out. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be 
no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And so that's something that we should really be desiring in our hearts and we should be praying, your kingdom come, come back. And then Jesus goes on to pray, this is unbelievable, but Jesus goes on to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And again, this is another thing that's awesome and we, we dealt with it in depth um, in, our, in our previous series about it. But for time's sake, I would actually really just encourage you, if you've never gotten connected with Bible Project, they do a video that is so illuminating and helpful called Heaven and Earth. So if you could, if you would do me, do me a solid and YouTube Bible Project Heaven and Earth. It will blow your mind. If you've never seen it, it will really help you grow in an understanding of what, of what Jesus is saying here and how God functions. Very, very helpful. We like the Bible Project a lot uh, at this church. We really support them and think they're great. But when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're crying out for transformation and life and truth here and now. It is his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and the emphasis this, this emphasis is, is incredible because it kind of leads to this place where we see there is God's stuff and his God and the things that he does and his stuff. And then there is us and, and, and the needs that we have and this interaction and this intersection, the merging of heaven and earth, which leads us to an incredibly practical section in the Lord's prayer where he says, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And I think this is very fascinating as well. We see that Jesus is actually so concerned about us that he even wants to be involved in our daily need for physical sustenance. He wants to feed us and give us what we need to get through our days and to be sustained. But what's really fascinating is that then he talks about what we need to be spiritually sustained. And forgiveness of debts, which really just means a forgiveness of sin, is, is fundamentally what we need in order to be really spiritually alive and to live. And forgiveness is what we need at the deepest level. And so there, there is something so necessary and, and we should long for and recognize the value and the importance of forgiveness even more than we recognize the value of just getting enough to eat day by day, I think. Jesus is very concerned about what we eat and he cares about every need that we have, but our deepest need is, is for him. And so there's something really interesting going on here too in verse 12 where he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And what we see is that there's an unbreakable link between receiving and offering this gift of forgiveness. And Jesus is going to teach that if we're unwilling to forgive, it means we don't really understand how much we've been forgiven. I think this is really important and uh, I think a, a good place to look at, at this concept is in Isaiah 53, the prophet, he says, we all, all of us, myself included, even up here on stage in the church, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. See, the Bible teaches that we're all guilty and broken, which would be a big bummer unless God offered some kind of solution. And so... That's why the cross is so amazing. But what happens is because of this brokenness and because of this guilt that we all have, it leads to the hypocrisy that Jesus warns against earlier in uh, you know, the section in Matthew. And so if we understand the depth of our forgiveness, if we really recognize how powerful it is that we have been forgiven, 
We'll also try to be real and be honest about who we are and what's going on. And if we're being honest and if we're being real, we would be compelled to extend the same kind of heart of forgiveness to everybody that we encounter. And so if we are being bitter or we are being unforgiving intentionally and and holding on to this poison of bitterness and unforgiveness, it kind of means we don't we don't really get it. We don't we don't see clearly what Jesus has done for us. And the temptation toward hypocrisy is what our enemy would love to do. Would love to to lead us in a place where we just hold on to that bitterness and anger. And so Jesus says and pray this way and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And here's the truth. Our enemy hates us and wants us dead. It's not a joke. (laughs) And so we cry out, Lord, lead us toward you, Jesus. Lead us away from the realm of death that that we want, you know, that's gonna destroy us and lead us toward life. And Jesus loves us too much to leave this point uh, ambiguous. He says, this is the deal. If you don't, if you don't engage with this mentality of forgiveness, you don't recognize how profoundly you've been forgiven. And so pray and ask God to lead you away from uh, a temptation, even toward hypocrisy and self-righteousness and unforgiveness and lead it toward him. But he makes it very, very clear. And this, these are some hard words, but this is what he says. After he concludes the Lord, he kind of sums up uh, after he instructs his disciples how to pray. And he says, for if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so this is not uh, an easy thing to hear. And maybe some of you are thinking right now that uh, about the person that has hurt you or the reason why, maybe the, the, whatever the source of your insecurity, maybe it's from a childhood thing or it's from a relationship that got messed up or whatever, and the re- reason why you try to perform or act the way you do or present whatever version of yourself that you're trying to present to achieve approval is because of how you have been hurt. And what I want you to know is that, man, Jesus wants you to forgive. He's calling you into a life of forgiveness. But obviously, that is incredibly hard to do. And the only way that we can do that is engaging with who, with who Jesus is. And so I would encourage you to consider this. I know it's a hard teaching but really let this sink in and maybe let the Holy Spirit challenge you in these ways as Jesus says what he says. And at this time, I know this is heavy and this is a lot, but at this time, I'm gonna invite the band to come up. Um, and as they're coming up and as they're making their way and maybe even as you're thinking about whatever has uh, struck you in our conversation today, I would just really encourage you to spend our time worshiping, even maybe in just in the next few minutes here, in a prayerful attitude. Not praying to impress other people, not praying to to try to whatever, show off or be spiritual or whatever, but to really just interact with your father. This is what Jesus lovingly is asking us to do, is to do this. And I think it's a really important thing to do. Please do this, please do this. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's your father. And he wants to make such a deep connection with you to set you free, to give you the freedom of his love, to give you an experience of that. And so he says, pray to your father, who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. And again and again and again, what I am telling you is that the reward that he has for you in the midst of the insecurity, in the midst of the things that we wrestle through in forgiveness, in the pain and the hurt and the ways that we try to seek approval, 
and all of that, the only solution, the only freeing agent, the only thing that will ever accomplish what God wants us for, which is life and an abundant relationship with him, the reward is Jesus. It's more Jesus. And so what you need, what I need, what we need as a church, the the possibility to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is hinging, it is contingent upon our our willingness and desire to allow his forgiveness and his love and his grace and the gospel to, to overwhelm us and to compel us into depths of relationship with him that are increasing and exciting and powerful. And so I would just encourage you as a, as a family and, and as a group of people who are just trying to figure it out, if you're a follower of Jesus, just dig this in and reach out to him. And if you're somebody that is investigating or you're just new or you're hanging out, I'm begging you, please. Jesus so desperately wants to give you more than you can even imagine or think of. And it's in a way that is beyond just temporary material blessings or the approval of mankind. It is a connection with the creator God who loves you. Jesus loves you, and he wants to make a connection with you right now for the rest of your life and into eternity. The reward is him. Pray in a way that recognizes his presence. He's here. The Holy Spirit is here. He loves us. It's the truth. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your love and for your presence here today. We all, all of us like sheep have gone astray and we've all done our own things, you know? And some of us are limping in here, just trying to figure out how we're gonna interact with whoever we're gonna interact with later today or how we're gonna deal with the things that are going on, you know, on our planner or, you know, whatever. Or how we're gonna navigate this school year or how we're gonna deal with this relationship or how we're gonna deal with this money thing or, or the bitterness that they won't leave us alone. What I'm asking you, Father, is that, is that your kingdom come and that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Please give us our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We praise you and we thank you for who you are and what you do. Overwhelm this room with an encounter of your love and your truth. You're the king, amen.